Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our home. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name and allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to heights unreachable to us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in the service be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, covetousness, ignorance, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy people and stand, Lord, in the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow us to find your holy countenance. I present this service to your divine arms Guide them with your uplifted hand, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. Yeah. 
Самое высшее 
лучшее счастье Учение Христова познать Наполнится всей полнотою И Богу во всем угождать Самое высшее счастье Учение Христова познать Наполнится всей полнотою И Богу во всем Oh, no. 
And so, those who have a Bible, you can open along with me a familiar place of Scripture to us that still contains the depth of the wisdom and visions of God that are not yet known to us, and that God reveals to us deeper and wider. Matthew chapter 5, verses 45 and 48, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The servant that would like to continue is called, called to perfection. This promised commandment is the inheritance of the saints of all time, and this commandment is addressed by Christ to his disciples. Therefore, those who do not accept the authority of the person sent by God have no relation whatsoever to the inheritance of this commandment and likely will not have any relation to it. Because for this it is necessary to be a disciple that acknowledges the authority of a person who has been placed by God. To fulfill this command, we have stopped to study the purpose of God's righteousness in the heart of a person. What purpose is the righteousness of God in our heart intended to fulfill? Specifically, we have been studying that the purpose of the righteousness of God in our heart, accepted by us in the broken tablets of testimony, in which we, with the law, die to the law, so that we can live for the one who died and rose, is comprised of us, receiving the affirmation of our salvation in the new tablets that are intended to give God the basis to give us the promise, not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith, just as he had given it to Abraham and his seed. For the promise that he would be the heir of peace was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Romans chapter 4, verse 13. <coughs> the righteousness of faith in our heart is defined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, or our obedience to the gospel word spoken by the messenger of God in the face of a person who represents the fatherhood of God for us. And so, um, there's a big difference between our faith and the faith of God. The faith of God is from hearing the word of God. It is information and not an emotion that we feel. It must be known. It must be heard. Isaiah says, faith is from hearing the word of God. And therefore, our faith is a soldier that says, let it be fulfilled. What you shall tell me, Lord, Elijah says, what you shall tell me to say. This is what our faith is comprised of. In simple obedience 
to the war the preached word of the messenger of God and so the promise of peace is given of the promise of the peace of God is given only to those people who obey the order of God cooperation with which he sends us his word through the mouth of the messengers of God and the covenant of peace in the heart of a person is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God and the words of the messenger of God in previous services, we in a certain format as far as God and the level of our faith have allowed us already studied the first six signs and we have stopped to study the seventh sign. This, the seventh sign is by the ability to clothe our essence to the holy or selective love of God. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Colossians chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. I should mention that if I periodically uh, exchange the word holy with selective, then this is only for the purpose of taking away tolerance from the minds of people that God loves everyone the same and that we must love all. God had never loved people the same and not everyone the same. He loves only His children. He has given His Son so that everyone who believes in, on this earth shall not perish. He didn't die to the earth. He died to our, our sins, not the sins of the world. This was an incorrect translation, an incorrect formula. And Apostle Paul specifically writes that Christ had given himself up for his church, having cleansed her and washed her through the word so that she could be holy and blameless before him in love. As you can see, the Heavenly Father had love those who believe. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is a translation. But the meaning is in this. That God did not love the world. He had condemned the world. And Apostle John, the same apostle, says, Do not love the world what is in this world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, these are of this world. How could one of the same apostles say, do not love the world? God does not love the world, and the world is the, the enemy of God. And then in another area, he says, God loves the world. There's an incorrect translation. Here it says, so that whoever believes in him, then it should have been translated as, for God so loved the believers in this world that he has given his one and only son, so that whoever believes in this world should not perish but have eternal life because the world is, is already condemned. Run away from it. Take it out of your hearts. According to this passage, the rule of the peace of God in our hearts is possible only under one condition, if we are clothed in the selective love of God. For the selective love of God, which is the goodness of God, contains good, wonderful, eternal, and incomprehensible to our mind goals of God that are called to build unique and peaceful relationships between God and His children. In Scripture, the character of the selective love of God is presented by the Holy Spirit in the preached word of the apostles and prophets in the light of seven unearthly virtues that are called to, that are called to be called the ladder of Peter by which 
Saints shall go to heaven. This is virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Second Peter chapter one verses two through eight. Each uh, each individual virtue, and this is a fruit. Each individual virtue of the fruit of virtue contains the characteristics of all other virtues, because they flow from one another, fulfill one another, strengthen one another, and are found in one another. So they must be found specifically equal and balanced. Second, these virtues are the moral perfections and standards that are inherent to the essence of God. Third, these virtues are the great and precious promises given to us through Christ. For these virtues presented in seven characteristics are the incorruptible treasures and riches which we must become enriched with. Five, we can enter to the inheritance of these virtues in the light of seven unearthly characteristics only by accepting the Holy Spirit as the Lord and ruler of our life which happens only after we die to this earth, we die to the house of our Father and to our corrupt desires. Therefore, the Holy Spirit, as the Lord and ruler, cannot enter into the heart of an infant. He gives him a deposit. A person experiences baptism in the Holy Spirit. He gives him the opportunity to speak in tongues, his spirit the opportunity to speak in tongues. And he does not remain there because... The Master is incapable of being led by the Holy Spirit. He is incapable of being led. He is being led by whoever and by whatever. Oh, did you hear that preacher? Did you hear what this one said? They don't have a person sent by God where he could hear the voice of God through this person. He looks at the on the Internet. He lo looks for one and the other and then another one. They are led by anything but the Holy Spirit. In order for an infant to be led by the Holy Spirit, he needs to leave infancy and not be swayed by all kinds of winds of teachings. Six, the means we are called to enact for the acceptance of the power of the Holy Spirit is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. Seventh, by inheriting these great and precious promises in the fruit of our spirit, we are made partakers of God's essence, because of which the proclamation of the faith of our heart becomes equal to the words coming from the mouth of God. The true virtue expressed in seven dignities and characteristics of the selective love of God has nothing in common with human love that is filled with ignorance, selfishness, and inconsistency. You must do this for me. You're my mother, you're my father, you're my brother, my wife. You see, this is covetousness. You can't say to God, 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 I'm your son, then please do something for me. God has cast out the cherubim from heaven. God had cast out him out. 
God had killed two priests in his temple. God had opened the earth and thrown the Levites there, the leaders of the army of Israel with all their belongings. God had... It doesn't matter what kind of son you are. If you do not meet the requirements of a son, then he casts you out. He doesn't have tolerant love. He has a selective love. It is the power the bond of perfection of the selective love of God in the seven virtues is unconditional. And apart from the tolerant and selfish love of man, the unconditional selective love of God differs in that it carries the all-consuming zeal of God, His omnipotence, and His absolute wisdom that is impossible to use for selfish and ignorant reasons. Whereas the tolerant love of man toward man can be easily used for selfish purposes. Here are how the pages of Scripture define the strength of the love of God. This is one of the unique places of Scripture. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth in his house, it would be utterly destroyed, despised. Song of Solomon 8, 5-7 And so the level of the love of God is defined by the level of the power of the hatred of God toward evil and those who practice evil. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness, therefore God your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Hebrews 1.9 The original of this place says, God has loved uh, righteousness and the carriers of righteousness and has hated lawlessness. Because with outside of a person, Righteousness and lawlessness cannot portray themselves because they are programs. And in order to express them, they must be placed in a programmable device. Any program, in order for it to work, it must be placed into a computer. It must be activated. The programmable device is the heart of a person for which there is a battle before the powers of light and the powers of evil. It is for this, because it is a person who makes the decision. What will be the programmable device? Or what will be the program? Lawlessness or righteousness? The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence his soul hates. You see, the love of God is not tolerant. It is selective. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, his countenance beholds the upright. Psalms 11, 5-7. I shall remind you that a person can be wicked if he was previously holy. People of this world cannot be wicked because they have never been holy. A wicked person is a person holy who has decided 
to test the dignities of God. He tried to, with his own mind, study Scripture to place his mind equal to the mind of God, saying, I have my own head and I don't, and I don't understand the truth this way. How do you understand this truth? This question in itself is idiotic. What do you mean, how do I understand it? I don't have the right to understand it somehow. There is the law, and I must accept it just as it is written. What do you mean, how do I understand it? As it is written, thus I understand it. They say, yes, this is what is written, but we don't understand it this way. They directly say that, yes, this is written this way, but we don't understand how it's written. We don't understand that if a person drinks alcohol, he, along with the adulterers, will be found in hell. They say, we don't understand it this way. I remember when I read this place of scripture that... Um, alcoholics and so forth, their places in the lake of fire, then a part of these people in this church came up to the pastor of this church and they said, we caught him. Uh, heresy. He said that drunkards and alcoholics and adulterers will be in the lake of fire together. And the pastor said, well, that's, what it, that's what's written. And they said to this pastor, but we don't understand it this way. We, we drink. A little bit we allow ourselves to. This pastor always also allowed himself to drink. He came to me personally and said, Idiots. He said to me, I'm a sinner. Yes, I drink. But when it's clearly written in Scripture, they say he's a uh, her heretic. What do you mean? If this is written, why are they calling you this? Those alcoholics are not those are those who just drink alcohol. An adulterer is one who commits this. Is what Scripture says, but people have learned how to interpret Scripture the way they want. Do not drink wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, he says, "Do not drink" has three meanings. A pastor says, another pastor says to me, "Do not be satisfied. Do not use it, and do not drink a lot of wine." To not drink a lot of wine challenges the other two meanings. I say, why do you choose this third definition? I then told him, are you a pastor? He says, yes. And he wanted to say, what, 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 what tribe do you think I'm a part of? Am I a priest? I said, you are a priest. Says yes, I say, do you know that priests could not go into the temple uh, and drink wine and strong drinks because two of the priests had drink and having drunk, being drunk, they took fire not from the sacrifice but from another fire. They thought, what difference would it be? They threw it and they came into the Lord into the temple, and momentarily the fire had devoured them. And after this, the Lord said, those who drink alcohol shall never enter. And I said to him, you are a priest 24 hours a day. And he said, oh, you caught me. I said, 
Brother, how how long am I going to have to catch you and you're going to hide? Let's let's worship and praise God as we must. And so only by loving what God loves and hating what God hates do we demonstrate the perfection of God and His reaction to the good of righteous people who do good and the unrighteous people who do evil and lawlessness. For the selective love of God according to its unearthly nature in the format of seven supernatural virtues is called to bring us to the full measure of Christ or to the perfection that is inherent to our Heavenly Father so that we could shine with the light of our Son on the righteous and unrighteous and pour out our rain according to the intentions of God on the just for blessing and, and the blessings and the unjust for punishment. He sends His clouds so that they can pour out the rains on the just for blessing and on the unjust for punishment. Considering, however, that these seven virtues do not have analogies in the earthly dimension of the human lexicon, nor the dictionaries of this world. The love of God is the foundation and atmosphere of the moral law that reveals in our heart the essence of God as well as the essence of the kingdom of heaven. And the love of God, agape, is a sovereign love that is unconditional only in relation to those people whom it chooses to understand it. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Romans 8.29 God foreknows for that reason that He is omnipresent. This means that He is simultaneously in the past, present, and future. And for Him, there is no past and there is no future. He has the present. He sees the future as the present. When you begin to accept the promise by faith and when you proclaim them, when you consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God, calling the inexistent as existent, He immediately imputes this to you as righteousness and He views this as if it's already been fulfilled, but you don't feel this. You have completely different emotions, feelings, lusts. And you say, Lord, how righteous I am, how righteous. I have bad desires, evil desires. But God is not based on what you feel. He's based on what you know. Because when God had created the earth, He did not create it with His emotions, but with the information that was contained in His Word. The Word is information. And the Lord said, this is information, not an emotion. Therefore, He said, Son, daughter, don't pay attention to your emotions. When are you going to stop? weighing yourself with your emotions. Oh, the Lord has left me. Oh, I feel ill. Don't go based off of what you feel, but based off of what you know. Faith comes from information, from hearing the Word of God. This must always be known to us, disciplined in us, and we must continually proclaim that which we have received and which we know. Then God will have the basis to take our words and to clothe us into these words. Thanks to its sovereignty, the selective love of God never violates legal rights and relationships with those people whom it selects.
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He does not knock on the heart of an infant, but in the heart of those people whose temple is built. Peter said, build yourselves into a spiritual dwelling, a holy place. This means that when a person has come to God, he has received baptism in the Holy Spirit, he has made a covenant with God in baptism in water. He has not yet built in himself a temple. After which, after this, he says, now build yourselves into a spiritual dwelling. When a person builds a temple, then he will enter there. When Solomon had built the temple, he stood, he placed a sacrifice, and then the fire of, of, of God fell upon the sacrifice, and God came into this temple. The same thing was with Moses. When the tabernacle was prepared, Moses had prayed, and the fire of God had descended into this tabernacle. They spoke in tongues, but the Holy Spirit was not there. Pastor Paul says, you are carnal, not having a spirit. He turned to the church of Corinthia, who did not have any lack of gifts. They are the carnal who lacked what came from the spirit because they considered it as foolish. It's necessary to remember this. And therefore, the love of God never violates legal rights and relationships with those people whom it selects. It doesn't violate rights and it doesn't allow its rights to be violated. In a certain format, we have already said the, the manifestation of the selective love of God and the virtues of virtue, knowledge, self-control, and patience. We have stopped to study the virtue of the love of God and the mystery of her godliness. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. 1 Timothy 3.16 We must remember that all of this God has done through His church. He didn't do this on His own for the world and to the angels. Neither the angels nor this world could see this through Christ Himself. He did this through us so that it may be made known through the church to the leaders of this world, the wisdom of God. It is through the manifestation of the fruit of godliness that we can identify the true love of God, agape, in the heart of man as well as his thoughts, words, actions, and the way in which he dresses, which must not excite the sexual instincts of the opposite sex. I will remind you that before Satan had um, sent naked people into the cemetery. Today, he sent them to church. People come nude. They wear see-through clothing or they wear tight clothing. Wear your best garments. Shower, prepare your heart to hearing the word of God and come here as you're coming to a feast, not to excite the sexual instincts of the opposite sex. We mentioned that there exists a key difference in the godliness of God demonstrated in his favor toward man from the godliness of man which he must demonstrate in his love to God. For example, the godliness of man in relation to God, is his favor to God, his goodness toward God, and his gratitude. It's the grace which he demonstrates. Grace is gratitude. When it says, when we have received grace for grace, 
grace on grace upon grace, but it, the correct translation should be grace for grace, gratitude for gratitude, goodness for goodness. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Therefore, in the original, good it's good grace for grace we are going to god and then god will demonstrate to us his godliness turn to me and i will turn to you and so the godliness of man in relation to god it is the ability to keep yourself from being defiled by the world it's to imitate christ and think of what is heavenly it is to seek god and his good acceptable and perfect will the godliness of god in relation to man is his goodness his grace and favor his favor and propitiation his gratitude and grace his good deed and good giving his good in its absolute sense Despite these characteristics that are called to yield the essence of godliness, a forgery of godliness exists that will challenge the true manifestation of godliness. Having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away, 2 Timothy 3, 5, carnal people. They always have an outer form of godliness that they are Christian, whereas in fact, inside, this are absolutely different people. If we do not break off relations with people who have an outward appearance of godliness, they will corrupt our godliness consisting of our good morals. Because of this, we, together with them, will inherit the destruction prepared for them. With regard to this, it was necessary for us to answer four classic questions. With what characteristics does Scripture endow the godliness of God and man? What purpose is godliness called to fulfill in the relationship of God with man? What conditions are necessary to fulfill for our godliness to, colla uh, to collaborate with the godliness of God? And by what signs should we define that our godliness truly collaborates with the godliness of God? In a certain format as much as God and the level of our faith have allowed us, we have already studied the first three questions and have stopped to study the fourth one. By what signs should we define that our godliness truly collaborates with the godliness of God? During previous services, we have already studied one of the signs of the fourth question, which should be defined by our ability to be clouds of the Most High. Thus, we will turn to studying the following sign. The sign by which we could test and define that in demonstrating the selective love of God, our godliness cooperates with the godliness of God is by our collaboration with God in our rising from the grave in which God has hidden us and concealed us from the wrath of God. Job 14, 13-17 Oh, that you would hide me in the grave, that you would conceal me until your wrath is past, you would appoint me a set time and remember me. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my hard service I will wait till my change comes. You shall call and I will answer you. You shall desire the work of your hands. For now you number my steps, but do not watch over my sin. My transgression is sealed up in a bag and you cover up my iniquity. We are called to test ourselves for the collaboration of our godliness with God 
and God's godliness toward us by the fact that God has called us out of the depths of the grave in which he had previously hidden us from his wrath. And we answered him. This is the most ancient, authoritative, faithful, and sublime story in the history of man, written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by Job himself about who God is for us and what God has done for us, and who we are for God, and what should we do to inherit all that God has done for us in the work of redemption. According to the legends of the Jews, Job was king in the land of Uz, which was what the fertile lands of Haran were called, in which the descendants of Esau, son of Abraham, settled. According to these ancient legends, Job was about 200 years old when he met Moses in the land of Midian and personally handed him his inspired genealogies. The Jewish rabbis believe that since Job came from the seed of Abraham, Moses could recognize Job's rights as a prophet. Scientists, archaeologists, literary scholars, and philosophers have concluded that the book of Job rises as a pyramid in the history of literature without a predecessor and without a rival. This is the most oldest ancient book on the earth. Thomas Carlyle, one of the greatest thinkers and famous English writers in his time, 755 through 1881, wrote these words about the book of Job. I call that the book of the Job, the book of Job, apart from all theories about it, one of the greatest things ever written with pen. It is our first oldest statement of the never-ending problem, man's destiny, and God's ways with him here in this earth. It seems. There is nothing written, I think, in the Bible or out of it, of equal literary merit. And, indeed, as we shall see later, the enlightenment of Job by the Holy Spirit in relation to the process of the adoption of our body through the redeeming grace of God shakes us with its unusual clarity and depth. For all subsequent generations of the prophets of the Most High, the revelation of Job will become a treasure, the unsearchable inheritance of God's wisdom and the storehouse of divine reason from which the Holy Spirit will give them knowledge of how, by what means, and in what sequence God, in the dimension of time, attempts to complete the process of adopting our body through His divine redemption. The revelation we are considering relates to the adoption of our body, the redemptive grace of God from the old man with his deeds, behind which the organized forces of darkness stand, is confirmed by another statement, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. 
how my heart yearns within me, Job 19, 25-27. And of course, to declare such words, it was necessary to have a revelation in your heart in the format of a certain promise and the dignity of the faith of God about destroying the power of death in your body and raising life in your body. And what is unimportant and what is not unimportant is to stand guard over these revelations considering yourself dead to sin alive to God and calling the non-existent as existent because the glorious promise of adopting our body through the redemption of God referred to a certain time speaking of the end associated with the door of our hope expressed in meeting the Lord in the air and such a revelation of the faith of God in the heart of Job should have been preceded by the erection in his heart of a certain tower in the dignity of Thumim and Urim, making him capable of hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit in his heart. And for God, as the reader of the revelation that was clearly written on the tablets of Job's heart, it gave him the basis to hear the faith of Job proclaimed by the rod of his lips. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart, and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. God is the one who reads, because people can't read what's in our heart and in our thoughts, only God. Even devil can't read it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak. Here Habakkuk talks about the, the adoption of our body. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Habakkuk 2, 1-4 If you paid attention, then you see that in the vision of the prophet Habakkuk about the end, in which God vowed to fulfill the adoption of our body through his redemption, fully corresponds to the revelation taken from the book of Job. Oh, that you would hide me in the grave, that you would conceal me until your wrath is past, that you would appoint me a set time and remember me. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my hard service I will wait till my change comes. You shall call and I will answer you. You shall desire the work of your hands, for now you number my steps. But do not watch over my sin. My transgression is sealed up in a bag and you cover my iniquity. According to testimony from Scripture, God boasts of Job before Satan and defiance him on the scales of divine justice as a man righteous and unblemished. And therefore, in examining the existing revelation about the adoption of our body associated with the time of the outpouring of the wrath of God on the old man living in our body, when God conceals us in hell from his wrath, and after that, when a deadline set by him passes, he will call out to us. And to this call, we are called to give him an answer that is clearly written in our hearts so that he, as a reader, can easily read it, and thus receive a foundation to show us his favor. In the connection with the study of this revelation, we have a number of questions. What kind of God's wrath, ready to pour out on a righteous and unblemished man, are we talking about? What kind of grave are we referring to in which God could hide us and conceal us from his just and burning wrath? What kind of deadline of the wrath of God placed by God in his authority are we talking about? And how long will God hide us in the grave from his wrath? 
What will serve as a foundation for God to remember us when we are located in His grave? How will God call out to us when He remembers that the time of our being in the grave has passed? What is the bag in which our transgression is sealed and our iniquity is covered? And what shall we answer God when He calls out to us? What kind of God's favor is this in which God, in counting our steps, would not watch for our sin? Of course, to master with their mind the combination of the incompatible, namely, how a person unblemished and righteous could become the goal for the outpouring of divine wrath is not only a useless task but also a dangerous one. Proceeding from the judgment of God through his prophets, any attempt to investigate with the human mind the plans of divine redemption contained in the scriptures, sealed from the human intellect with seven seals, from within and without, causes the wrath of God. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have set your heart as the heart of a God, you shall die. Here it said that here in the Bible are written the thoughts of God. And they are written as sealed. You might achieve the level of theology, but God will you will not know anything until God reveals it. God does not reveal it in institutes and colleges, but in the church. And in a kind of church that is a virtuous wife. Therefore, thus says the Lord, because you have set your heart as the heart of a God, you shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of aliens. For I have spoken, says the Lord God, Ezekiel chapter 28, 6 and 10. And so to see, hear, and understand what God has prepared for those that love him, it is necessary to accept the spirit from God in order to know the mind of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 and 16. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This apostle Paul said about Infants cannot have the mind of Christ. They do not listen to it. They do not understand it. Yes, a new man has his rational sphere. But until the old nature of a person dies through the cross of the Lord Jesus, his mind will never agree with that which is in his heart. It will never agree. He's always going to place himself as God, saying, Oh, I don't agree with this, or I don't understand it this way. And we have the mind of Christ to accept the Holy Spirit in, an, in order to understand what has been gifted to us by God is possible only after we cleanse our conscience from dead works and place wisdom in it in the dignity of the truth of the reigning teaching of Christ. And I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you a wise heart because it contains the teaching of Christ. I have put wisdom that they may make all that I have commanded you. Exodus 31, 6. What wisdom? I will send the Holy Spirit who will come and who will reveal truth in your heart. And so the first question, what kind of God's wrath ready to pour out on a righteous and unblemished man are we talking about? We are talking about a just and unblemished man in whose body lives reigning sin in the face of the old man 
who was inherited from the seed of the vain life of our fathers, from the seed of this sinful life. David says, I have been conceived in lawlessness and my mother bore me in sin. When a person is born from the seed of the preached word of truth in his body appears a new man who by nature is equal to the nature of God. And therefore in his new man the law of God is present with which the nature of the new man functions. Specifically, this law on one hand discovers sin that lives in the body of man and gives power to this sin. And on the other hand, this law creates the wrath of God as an expression of resistance to the sin living in our body in the face of our old man. Because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression, Romans 4.15. You see where anger came out, came from, because in our New man, there is the life of God. It is equal to the nature of God. And when we have been born, this new man immediately discovers the one, the, the man that is resist to him, that is the programmable device of the fallen cherubim that Adam had inherited and passed along to all of his descendants. The next question, what kind of grave are we referring to in which God could hide us and conceal us from his just and burning wrath while he deals with our old man? We must understand one irrefutable truth that all that God does in man and for man with regard to his redemption, he does in Christ Jesus and through Christ Jesus whom he places as head over his church. And so when God gave birth to us in Christ Jesus from the unfading seed of the preached word of truth, we, in the face of our new man, became a new creation in Christ Jesus, whereas our soul and our body remained in its former state. As written, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, that God was in Christ to reconcile the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Despite the fact that God does not impute sin, so when we accept a justification in Christ Jesus, those living God does not impute sin to those who accept justification of Christ Jesus inherited sin living in their body in the face of the old man as a programmable device for the program of the fallen archangel calls out the wrath of God and for God to deliver us from his wrath he hides us in the grave remember that God is omnipresent and each person this suffering occurs God sees him not as he suffered but as he's suffering and he immerses us in Christ Jesus the same way he hid Noah in the ark in the waters of death that hit the ark, the image of which was Christ. The same way he also holds us in Christ. We feel this hell, but not as Christ had felt it. Noah had felt how the ark had hovered over the waters. This was horrific. This was not 
It was the strongest category of storm. The whole waters were unleashed as well as the wind was released. The ark was covered with waves, of which the Isaiah said, it is thrown about by the storm and the winds. He felt this. But he was hidden. He did not perish. The wicked perished. The old man perished. But he had remained living in Christ Jesus, an image of the ark. For do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Then when Christ arose, we arose with him. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Romans 6, 3-7 You see, so that the sinful body could be abolished. I would like to focus our attention to the significance of the word knowing this that is contained in the phrase knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Knowledge is information that has come into our heart through the revelation of the word preached to us, which is not contained in the sphere of our feelings, but in the sphere of our thinking that controls our horse and emotions and leads it to the direction of the information. We we hear about who God is for us in Christ Jesus, what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, who we are for God in Christ Jesus, and what we must do to inherit all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. In this passage from Apostle Paul about knowledge accepted by us, the revelation of the truth of the word preached to us, it is specific information relating to our sinful body, which is abolished by way of crucifying the old man with Christ in his death. With this kind of crucifixion with Christ, our body is freed from dependency on sin, which causes death. Of course, if we are not taught what baptism is and how to remain and keep ourselves in baptism, then our baptism will remain only as a certain slogan that cannot do anything, because of which it will cease to be baptism. The same way circumcision ceased to be circumcision if the circumcised did not make themselves dependent on the law. Circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? It will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and the circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter. Next question, what kind of deadline of the wrath of God placed by God in his authority are we talking about, and how long will God hide us in his grave from his wrath? In the grave from his wrath. On 
one hand we were hidden from the wrath of God in the grave in Christ Jesus until we, through confession of the faith of God abiding in our heart, grow into the tree of life that bears its fruit twelve times each month. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, but for you are not under law, but under grace. Romans 6, 10-14 But to be found under grace, it is necessary to leave, to die to our nation, the house of our Father, and our corrupt desires. So to be not under the law. Because to be not under the law is to be found contained not under the severity of the law, which in practice means with the law died to the law in order to live for the one who died and rose for us. On the other hand, we will be hidden from the wrath of God in the grave of Christ Jesus until the time for the fulfillment of the promise comes, the promise that related to the door of our hope which God placed in the deadlines of his authority. Those whom they wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth, and all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, for that they should not be made perfect apart from us. The emissaries of Mammon talk about riches, and uh, riches are dependent upon our spiritual, pro uh, our financial prosperity. They have not looked at this place of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 38 through 40. The next question, what will serve as a foundation for God to remember us when we are located in this grave, that is, Christ Jesus? The foundation that would allow God to remember us in the grave in which he hid us from his wrath is the state in which God remembered Noah, every living thing, and all the animals that were with him in the ark. Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark, and God made a, a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters subsided. Genesis 8.1 Pay attention. All of these animals were in the ark in Christ. This is that which lives in us. God had highlighted what is living in our body, and along with this, he placed us in the ark. And then he made a covenant, not just with Noah, but with all of the animals, with us and all of that which lives in us. Considering that the Ark of Noah was an image of Christ in his death in which we were immersed in baptism in Jesus Christ, then the circumstance that allowed God to remember Noah was the full annihilation of people from the land whose thoughts were always evil in the eyes of God. This is what served for God. 
as an opportunity to remember Noah. When all the wicked and lawless people called them, calling themselves Christians were destroyed. And so when in the death of the Lord Jesus in which we are immersed, full annihilation of former thoughts will occur, in which all the thoughts of our hearts were focused on evil, then this will serve as a basis for God to remember us when we are in the grave. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord God said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. You see, God did not gather all of the birds, but only those not all people were destroyed and not all animals were destroyed in a flood in scripture the character of our thoughts defines who we are before God as it is written for as he thinks in his heart so is he Proverbs 23 7 therefore in scripture to remain in the Lord and demonstrate faithfulness to God means to meditate on the Lord and what is heavenly therefore my beloved and longed for brethren my joy and my crown so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Eodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Philippines chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. In this manner, when our former thinking in the image of King Saul will be destroyed from our body, God will remember us. The next question, how will God call out to us when he remembers that the time of our being in the grave has passed? What is the bag in which our transgression is sealed and our iniquity is covered? And what shall we answer God when he calls out to us? Everything that God does for man and in men, he does through his word in the fruit of the lips of man, which are the proclamation of the promise of the faith that abides in his heart. All of this God must do through our proclamations. God will call out to us through the proclamation of the faith of our heart when the Holy Spirit reveals this truth in the heart that the time of our being in the grave in the death of the Lord Jesus has passed. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet. When the time had come, then he had understood that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mount of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in a vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly reached me about the same time in the late, uh, evening offering. Evening offering is an image of, of the harvest. In the 
While I was speaking of prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the same time in the evening offering, and he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have come forth to give you skill to understand. Know therefore and understand that the going forth of the command to restore it and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times, and after sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself and the people of the Prince who is to come shall destroy the city of the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with the flood, and till the end of the war desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to a sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. I don't have enough time to interpret all of this, although I understand this completely, but we're limited to time. I'll pay attention to the last one. And he shall affirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. It is at the middle of the week when the power of death will be destroyed. Here it talks about this, middle of the week, an end to sacrifice and offering in the dimension of time. All of this will occur before rapture. From this revelation it follows that until a person receives a revelation that his crime is covered, sins are sealed, and transgressions are blotted out, he will have no reason to pray for the release of his body from the old man who relies on death in his body. A sign that our crime is covered, our sins are sealed, and our transgression is blotted out will be that event in which the old man will be tied up in our body, in his rule in our body will be abolished. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Second, from the revelation of Daniel, it follows the liberation of our body from the power of sin and death is part of the covenant that will be established in the last week, seven years before the establishment of the millennial kingdom of Christ on earth. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. I will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of Acre as a door of hope. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. Hosea chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. So, the promise regarding the door of hope is the promise that will be fulfilled before the rapture, when our old nature will be destroyed, and we, being in our earthly bodies, will receive immortality. 
Adam was not in the spiritual body. Adam was in the earthly body, but he had immortality. And only when he sinned, death had penetrated his body. And now in Christ Jesus, before he shall rapture his church, he is going to destroy the power of death in the bodies of his saints. Here it talks about the store, and she will rejoice as in the day of her exit out of Egypt. These are not heavens. All of this will happen on earth. I will allure her into the wilderness. Wilderness is an image of sanctification. I will speak to her from there when she will be sanctified. I will deliver her from dependence on her nation. We have lots of Ukrainians that are for Bandera. They wrote, I am a Pentecostal of Bandera. I thought, how strange. Who is Christ then to you? These kind of letters I would receive. Therefore, we should understand we must be rid of dependence of our nation, our government, the house of our Father, and our corrupt desires. And only then God will give us all of this, the vineyards in the Valley of Achor. And we know, we've talked about this before, that the Valley of Achor is unfortunate circumstance, and the Jews always looked at this with fear because that's where Achan was killed by with stones because he was, it wasn't time to unseal a promise, but he loved the 50 shekels, the gold, the garments, an image of grace. He hid all of this there in his tent. He hid, he hid it. And the Israelites, not from the... And from the tribe of Judah was an image of Christ who was hit. God says, I will return to you the valley of Achor as a door of hope, and you shall rejoice. You will not sorrow any longer. Third, it follows from the revelation of Daniel that there will be a rapture or the fulfillment of our hope, which will enable the son of perdition to be revealed. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as through the day of, as though the day of Christ had come let no one deceive you by any means for the that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called god or that is worshipped so that he sits as god in the temple of god showing himself that he is god do you not remember that when i was still with you i told you these things and now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, 
that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe in the lie and that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Fourth, from the revelation of Daniel, it follows that at the end of this, the destroyer in the person of the Antichrist and his kingdom, the final and predetermined death will befall. That I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and the great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is de the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till a thousand years were finished. But after these things he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received the mark on their foreheads or on their hand, hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. This is how the Holy Spirit presents the image of the sealing of our sin through one of the Psalms of David. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, I waited patiently on the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He shall put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God, many will see it in fear, and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust, and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are your wondrous works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order, if I would declare and speak of them. They are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, my ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I come, in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. Psalms chapter 40, verses 1 through 8. Here in the scroll, that's where God had sealed our since it had closed our transcriptions once and forever. And now pay attention to the concluding phrase of David about the scroll and compare it to the words of Job. Oh, that you would hide me in the grave, that you would conceal me until your wrath is past, that you would appoint me a set time and remember me. If a man dies, shall he live again? So the psalm of David completely coincided with this. All the days of my hard service I will wait till my change comes. You shall call and I will answer you shall desire the work of your hands for now you number my steps but you do not watch over my sin and here is another place of scripture that pours light to how a person will answer God when he calls him from the grave because he has set his love upon me therefore I will deliver him I will set him on high because he has known my name he shall call upon me and I will answer him 
I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Psalms chapter 91, verses 14 through 16. You can never love Christ in his resurrection if he does not love Christ in his death. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And so the final question, what kind of God's favor is this, and which God, in the counting our, our steps, would not watch for our sin? In this case, we are talking about a kind of favor that is defined by the sphere of the resurrection of Christ, risen in our body in the dignity of the power of eternal life. In the phrase, for now you number my steps, but do not watch over my sin, the verb number means I would transfer from your account to my account, would proclaim the property purchased for the price of the blood of his son. This is what it means to number my steps. In this case, under the steps, we mean the steps of faith by which a person walks in the footsteps of the sheep of his beloved and tends his goats near the tents of the shepherds. And therefore, transferring the promises about the adoption of our body through redemption in Christ Jesus from the account of our Heavenly Father to our account occurs when we obey the commandments of God and begin to consider ourselves dead to sin, living for God, calling non-existent as existent. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him, through faith in the working of God, who has raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your trespasses and the, circum and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. This will never occur until we, with our own lips, will not begin to proclaim and to thank God and say, Lord, I thank you, the God of power, that you have reigned in me and that you have destroyed in me the power of death. Begin to call the non-existent as existent. God has already done this. And when you begin to say that, yes, this has already happened, although it may not have happened yet, then God will take this proclamation and he will deliver you from the authority of lust. He will deliver you from the fear of death, from the fear of illnesses, from all kinds of forms and phobias of fear. We will pray and all those who desire to accept the promise, to affirm it, that in the dimension of time, as had happened with Job, my eyes and not the eyes of another, will see a new great body in which will God will dwell, in which there will not be decay, there will not be death, and this is going to be a guarantee of our 
of our rapture. Enoch had bore Methuselah, and after this he walked before God, and God took him. Therefore, I think that someone has already bore their Methuselah. Someone has is growing it. Let us bend our knees and bow our heads. We wait for you at the altar to destroy the works of devil in your life and to lift up the power of life in your body. Amen. Let us pray. I will pray along with you, with your prayer, and I ask you to deeply believe that God is for you. He is not against you. This is the ministry of justification in which God does not impute sin to man when he recognizes it and proclaims it. He throws it into the lake of fire and will not remember it. Your eyes closed an element of a secret room and your hands raised to the heavens, a sign that you are ready to receive from God what he desires to give you. And so pray along with me, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you. My heart is uncovered. You see the wound of my heart. I am wounded by sin. I am ashamed. I despise evil. I despise sin. I despise the lusts in my flesh. I forbid them. I accept your word, able, powerful, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in my heart, and right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that according to your word, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, and I am saved. May your sins be forgiven and your lawlessness in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May he come down before you with his countenance and have mercy upon you and give you peace. May around you fall thousands and tens of thousands, but not draw near you. May all of the blessings of the ancient hills and everlasting mountains be upon you. May all of this come upon you and upon your descendants, and may it be fulfilled upon you. And let the people say, Amen. Blessed is God in the temple in his temple blessed is god in the temple of our body blessed is god who has magnified his word in the temple of our god he is vigilant in our bodies you also be vigilant so that he so that he as one who reads could read what is written in our heart and our generation will be witnesses of this great and unique fulfillment of this promise that will bring to horror and fear all of the religious gatherings that today dwell on the so-called fields of evangelism instead of striving to the goal that God has set before us to destroy the power of death in our body and magnify the power of life. True evangelism is when a person is a light to the earth. He becomes an evangelist. As soon as you are a light, a light in your family, for your wife, for your husband, your, your children at work, and if God desires 
to send someone somewhere, then he will do this, obviously, through the pastor of the church where you are found. Therefore, we bless only those missionaries who have been sent by a pastor of a church according to a revelation. And now, because our service is over, let us proclaim our manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you flawless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.